Hello and welcome to the Bitten Word Podcast. I'm Christine. And I'm Ashley. Um, we're so excited to see you all here at the beginning of our third year. Come celebrate yeah. our second anniversary with us. Seriously, that's awesome. Um, for our second anniversary, we are not doing another episode of All Creatures Great and Small, although we uh-huh. should. That should just be our yearly thing. <laughs> might get hard after a while. Like, what else are we going to talk about? Oh, there's a great corned beef sandwich scene that we could do. Um, anyway, today we are talking about Turning Red. Um, so I know that Turning Red was a hugely controversial movie because it's yeah. like a thinly veiled puberty metaphor and it has like a lot of frank talk well maybe not a lot but some frank talk about periods i loved it and i felt like these were like necessary conversations and i have to say that my 13 year old self really identified with may so much in this movie <laughs> so it was not my favorite movie sometimes though i need rewatches like i didn't like zootopia when i first saw it but after rewatching it a few times then i really started liking it so yeah. i don't know if happen with this movie or not but it's not because of the period stuff I was really actually quite annoyed with people who were getting mad about the period stuff because I was like okay maybe this is not how most people do it but like I have one daughter who is my oldest and then three boys underneath her but my daughter is open about talking about her period around her brothers she talks about it with her dad like like mentions it says oh I've got cramps can I take this you know she doesn't hide it from anybody or anything and I try to keep fostering that because my boys need to know that girls have periods like and that it's uncomfortable and that there are pads and things involved (laughs) like so I just I just don't understand why this was so taboo because if you're so taboo about it it turns into a carry situation right right like it's bad well and I'm like it's better than how I grew up where like I like didn't even know what periods were until I heard mom talking to you about it one time and I swear I was like 10 when this happened you are seven years younger than me so this may have been just like a developmentally developmentally appropriate thing or whatever no but I feel like by 10 I should have at least known what to expect I mean especially now that like periods are getting starting younger and younger yeah and like 10 is like a normal age for girls to start periods yeah but it's like when my period started I didn't know what it was um and like I remember one time I was talking to mom about it and I was like and I said something like yeah we'll have to see how I feel tomorrow because I've like got cramps today and dad walked in right at the same time and then he's like why wouldn't you feel well tomorrow and I and I was just all of a sudden like I don't know what to say I was like I don't know. I, I feel sick. You know, like I don't yeah. like talk about it. And so like, I just, I feel like it's better to be like that where you can have conversations with your dad, with your siblings, you know, and it's not weird. Yeah. Well, I try really hard to foster it and not keep those conversations under wraps because I think it's dumb. So <laughs> Something that is not controversial in this movie is the food and how incredible it looks. And today we're making the amazing stir fry that Mr. Lee makes in the introduction scene to his character. Um, Like, I hope you all know what I'm talking about, because I remember when I first saw this scene, I was like glued to the screen and I was like, the food (laughs) looks so good. (laughs) Um, Um, I really like her dad. 
Oh, her dad is like, the best. Even though I didn't love the movie as a whole, I really did like her dad a lot. I do like her dad. I will say Disney and Pixar, I feel like are pulling out some really good dads lately. Like Augustine yeah. in Encanto is like the best. And yeah, Mr. Lee, he's he's great. Um, we'll talk about him. I think I have like a Mr. Lee stand moment in here. So we'll get to it. Okay. Um, but if you haven't seen Turning Red yet, um, it's 2002 in Ontario and Maylin Lee, a Chinese Canadian girl who has just turned 13, is now in her own words, an adult. Um, she's, and according to the Toronto Transit Authority, um, she's really excited <laughs> to be an adult and rocks her life, getting good grades, doing well in everything she tries and making her parents proud. But she also loves normal teen girl things like boys and pop music and her friends. Um, and as May struggles with the pressures of being a good daughter and the influx of hormones that come with puberty, she finds herself turning into a giant red panda anytime she has a big emotional reaction to anything. So now she has to learn how to reconcile all of these things as she navigates her new life and prepares to go to a once-in-a-lifetime concert of her favorite band, Fortown. Um, so a random bit of trivia here, the music was done by Ludwig Göransson. Um, actually, it's actually probably more like Ludwig Göransson, um, which really surprised me because like, so typically composer work is identifiable, like to me, like they have a particular sound or instruments that they stick with. So like, if you think of, um, oh, Daniel yeah, Danny Elfman. He, he was one of the ones I was going to say. You can yeah. always tell Danny Elfman. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, who's the big one? John Williams. John like, Williams. He uses lots of horns. A lot of his stuff sounds very similar. You can usually tell it's him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, so can do you know any other work by Ludwig Gorhansen? I was going to say, I do not recognize that name. Okay, then let me enlighten you. So think about what this soundtrack sounds like. So there's sort of this like 90s hip hop mixed with like jazz flute thing going on. It's a very specific style. Um, Some of his other credits include Black Panther and The Mandalorian. Oh, you said Mandalorian and I was like, oh, ding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like But like Black Panther, the music in Black Panther is very like, it's got a very specific flavor as well. And these are all like wildly different from each other. So he's kind of like all over the board. I would never have expected all of these things to be him. Yeah. Well, except for the flute thing in Mandalorian, the like Western. Yes. But I feel like there's a big difference between like the jazz flute and then like the if you didn't know that's what a flute sounds like so yeah, exactly um, also i want to have a, a four town appreciation moment here um i really like the four town songs a lot <laughs> um and like we were i hear it periodically i hear um the you never not on my mind that one um like at kids places all the time whenever i take my kids to like an indoor playground they always play it and i'm always like oh yeah i love this song and i put it in like my nostalgic playlist that has like in sync and stuff in it because it just like for being like 
for meaning to sound like a like late 90s early 2000s boy band it it really does yeah i was gonna ask you because i when i was growing up i was right in the thick of the backstreet boys in sync gang fights and like (laughs) that's kind of what it was like (laughs) (laughs) so but i was wondering because i feel like by the time you got middle school and like right around that age they had kind of gone by the wayside um and broken up and you know Justin Timberlake was doing his thing and everything so I was wondering like but I think you were also too young for One Direction Mm -hmm. were you was there like a dearth of boy bands when you were that age Jonas Brothers oh I guess they were like before One Direction weren't they yeah but yeah, but not during the in sync time. No. Um, so you didn't really, but you weren't obsessed with Jonas Brothers like I was obsessed no. with. Like I, I totally, totally relate to the obsession with the boy band. Um, and guys, one of the best moments of my life was when my quote unquote boyfriend at the time got tickets to the in sync concert like his family did and they took me. Like I was oh, not really was this Robbie? No, it was Cole. Oh, it was Cole. It was Cole. <laughs> That's amazing. I know. And they took me to the Insync concert. I didn't have to pay for the tickets or anything. And I was like freaking out with my boyfriend right next to me when they flew across the audience. Oh my gosh. And Lance Bass looked me in the eyes and like blew me a kiss. It was the best <laughs> moment of my entire life. That's amazing. I've never heard that. Oh my gosh. It was so amazing. Also, I could literally not hear for the next two days. My ears were muffled because it was so loud in that. (laughs) Um, But that was like the best moment ever. And afterthought, if you know about Elise Myers on, she's like on TikTok and Instagram and stuff and kind of a Big deal. She's just a nice person who like talks about anxiety and being awkward and stuff. I, I know who you're talking about. So she just started a podcast and Lance Bass was one of her first guests. Um, yes. Cause he did like a, he answered her cause she said she yeah. liked him she and then she sat on him just like yes. I did. Yeah. And then she, and he, yes. Okay. Cause he stitched it because she was like, and then my first boyfriend turned out to be gay and he was like, yeah. that tracks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so that episode is a really fun episode to listen to um of her podcast if you're interested in lance bass if you were the weird one like me who had a crush on lance instead of on jc or justin Justin. (laughs) ramen hair do you remember though blake our brother he was like lance is gay and you were like no he's not and he was like yes "Yes, he's gay (laughs) Like totally called it. He did. That's amazing. Um, okay, I have a few things to say about that. One, Cole, that makes sense why you said quote unquote boyfriend. I have to tell all of you that he wrote Ashley a love letter one time, or like, I don't know if this was even like considered a love letter, but it was a letter and it was like folded up and it had all these drawings on it and stuff. And in it he talked about how his fish died of constipation. <laughs> that's like one of the legendary stories yeah. 
kept that letter for way longer than necessary because of that sentence. <laughs> so I'd pull it out and be like, oh yeah, his fish died of constipation. <laughs> Which I really, I really want to know how they knew that. Like, I know, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay, and then the other thing I was going to say, oh, have I told, stop me if I've told this story before on the podcast, about when I was in my hip hop dance class and we were talking about Backstreet Boys. I do not remember. Okay. So you said you were in the thick of the gang fights. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was, I liked NSYNC's music and I liked Backstreet Boys music, but uh, I was too young to like, you know, be a huge like yeah. fangirl. <laughs> but you were super into it and you had the posters all over your rooms. Um, and I re- so I was took a hip hip hop dance class for some reason because I did like every sport known to man for five minutes. Um, <laughs> I really did. And there was a day that we were gonna do a, we were learning a dance to like larger than life maybe like a, like just like one of the really popular Backstreet Boys songs. That is one of the two Backstreet Boys that I am okay with. Yeah. Um and. So I remember before we picked this song, like, or like when we picked this song, he told us what we were doing. And I was like, boo, Backstreet Boys sucks. <laughs> InSync is better because that's what, because you liked InSync. Yeah. And so I was like, and, and so I was like, really, I remember I was obnoxious about it to the point where the teacher was like, shut up, leave me alone. Stop talking about this. Yeah. And the stupid thing was that I liked that song and I like Backstreet Boys. I would not have admitted that I liked that song like at the time. Now I still feel like there are only two Backstreet Boys songs that I like and it's that one and everybody. Like, that's it. Backstreet's back. The, oh, you know, yeah. Um, what about those are the call? only two that I actually like. No. That's uh, amazing. No. I don't like anything else by them. You are my fire. Oh my God. Is that a Backstreet Boys song? Yes, and I hate okay. it. So that's that's the one I like. I hate it. I hate it. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So the last thing I'll say about boy bands is that even though I was too young for the big late '90s boy band revolution, there is the scene in this movie where they go to the concert and they come out and they do the you want it i want it you want it i want it you want it i want it here we go two three four and then these wings unfurl from their backs and they like fly up into the air and i have to say i would have died as like a 13 year old at that concert because me watching it now is like oh my gosh and so- this is what I'm telling you this this was why it was the greatest moment of my life because yes. literally they flew up into the air and went out over the audience like it was amazing <laughs> they really pulled out all the stops there's that part though in the movie where Priya goes Jesse and I'm like that's how I felt like would have felt as a 13 year old yeah. <laughs> like watching that um so, yes, I can understand. The part of me, the thing about May that I really identify as, is the with is the part where she's, like, drawing hot guys in her journal. <laughs> <laughs> and the part where she's like, oh, you know? <laughs> like, 
feels like she has to hide. That's the part that I'm like, oh my gosh, that was me as a 13 year old. Totally. (laughs) That's funny. Okay. So let's. This actually is not a boy band podcast, by the way. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) It could be. So before we actually get into the scene, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the director to give you just like some background. So Turning Red is the first Pixar film that is directed solely by a woman. Oh, Um, I know. I thought that was kind of interesting. And I found out I found out later that all of the major leads on the film were women also and that it was not even purposeful. Oh, really? Kind of organically happened that way. that, That is the best thing that I have ever heard. I mean, it's one thing if it's like an initiative, right? Where it's like, we want a female-led film, yeah. which is great. But it's like, it's cool when it just happens organically because then it feels a lot more like they got there based on merit. Yeah, you know? they got there because they were the best people for the job and they all happened to be women, which is pretty mm-hmm. awesome. Domi, she is a Chinese-Canadian animator and she directed the short film Bao. Um, and okay. So have you seen that? Yeah. Okay. So if you've never seen Bao, it's about a middle-aged Chinese empty nester who is making Bao one day when one comes to life and she gets a chance to raise it like a child. She has a grown son um, who she has a bit of a fraught relationship with. And through her experience with this Bao, she's able to heal her relationship with her son. And in the interview with Domi Shi, she said that her two big passions are animation and food. So when she got the chance to direct a short film, she wrote about food. That is very obvious from yes. from that and from Turning Red. Exactly. Um, she said, I think that's probably part of why the move, food in the movie looks so good. Like, yeah. not just that there's a lot of food, but, like, they spend time, they spent a lot of time on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, because it matters to her as a director. The art department has also said that the look of the movie was inspired in part by, like, anime and that the production uh, the production designer said they used Hayao Miyazaki as inspiration and used some of his techniques and like making the food look good like hyper saturated colors and making things rounder um, yeah. he called the ch- the style chubby cute <laughs> <laughs> which is a thing and definitely an anime thing yes you must know by now like how Miyazaki food looks after our episode on Ponyo like I hope all of you went and looked at the pictures of the food when we did our Ponyo episode we have about a thousand Miyazaki episodes lined up so like just you can find whole articles about it so if you don't know what I'm talking about go look because it's gorgeous and it makes you want to eat Domi she is from uh, Sichuan and when we look at the food offered in the scene it's all Sichuan food so like boiled pork dumplings and twice cooked pork and later there's a, like a feast scene right before they do the ceremony where okay. there's a bunch of um, like Shichuanese food. Interesting. So this scene is towards the beginning of the movie and it's our first introduction to Jin, May's dad. Uh, we see him very dramatically preparing dinner. There's <laughs> gorgeous lighting. There's soaring soap opera music in the background. He's like chopping lettuce and peppers and he's stir frying um, and the lettuce is flying around and he's yeah. adding <laughs> sauce and sprinkling salt. And like, like it is, it really is with the slow-mo and uh-huh. like the dramatic angles. 
Um, it just looks so incredibly. And obviously it's meant to be like really appetizing and draw you in. He makes the stir fry and then he opens a pot of boiling dumplings and his glasses fog up and that takes him out of his cooking reverie. Um, then May comes over to him with more dumplings that she and her mom have just finished folding and he inspects one and he tells her it's perfect. And she does a little fist pump and goes, yes. (laughs) So there's a couple interesting things happening in the scene. So first thing that I thought about was like the reversal of gender roles. Ming, mm-hmm. May's mom, is working all the time and she runs the temple, presumably because the temple belongs to her family specifically. Yeah. And Jin is making dinner. And later, Miriam makes a comment about Mr. Lee's cooking and how good it is. So clearly it's something he does a lot and something he cares mm-hmm. about. Um, so it's just kind of cool to see like a different family structure, especially when it comes to like like a chinese canadian family who seems to be fairly like traditional yeah but it's clear that there are like some feminist undertones in this movie right i mean not just the talk of periods but like there's that scene like their ancestor that had the relationship with the red pandas was a woman and when they have a tour going may says like we honor our ancestors and not just the dudes either (laughs) (laughs) so Jin also seems much more supportive of May living her like life separate from Ming's dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like part of that is because like he follows his own passion, which is clearly cooking. So like that's something that's important to him. Yeah. It seems like Jin is able to do what he enjoys. And so he wants to support May in the things that she enjoys. Like when he suggests, maybe we should just trust her when she wants to go to the concert. Yeah. Um, Or when he finds the videos of May and her friends and he realizes they have fun together and they're just being normal kids. And he encourages her to make her own decision regarding the Panda spirit. Yeah. I think also that has to do with personality because her mom is like super type A. Yeah. And like, you know, really structured and this is the way things have to be where her dad seems to be a little bit more soft, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that that would that that would probably play into it as well. So like the big thing, though, for this scene, and I feel like the real significance here is that in this scene, we're able to see how much May depends on her parents' praise and how concerned she is about being perfect. Even yeah. something as simple as helping with dinner is a competition for her. She wants to be perfect. And when we're presented with the scene, we're also introduced to the choices May has ahead of her. Be perfect and under constant pressure or follow her passions and be herself. And I feel like this shows up because right after the scene where he says, like, yeah, it's perfect the commercial for four town comes on and then she has a conversation with her mom where her mom clearly disapproves and so it's like these two sides of her that she's trying to reconcile yeah it's interesting because it does i i think the entire movie is also about you know family relationships and parent-child relationships Mm -hmm. um and and how much i think a lot of times we see stories about children who rebel but i think that this one is showing how much children want to please their parents yeah you know how much they actually love them and want to do what their parents want them to do but that sometimes parents get short-sighted about things and expect them to just toe their own line you know rather than trying to help them become the people that they are yeah which is hard 
as a parent really hard (laughs) i think sometimes because i think sometimes we do that without even realizing it oh absolutely absolutely Um, but yeah i think with this is similar to kind of a thread in Encanto of like generational trauma and like you know what relationships are like you know like realistic relationships and families um I because let's see I heard a lot I saw a lot of discussions where people were talking about how white people thought Ming was like an insane overbearing almost abusive mother because she was like so like you toe the line and you do exactly what's expected of you blah 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 Mm -hmm. and because of how scared May was to disappoint her yeah but I saw a lot of Asian people saying this is a really realistic portrayal of relationships in you know Chinese American and Chinese Canadian families Um, yeah and they say like but the important thing to note here is that the movie makes it very clear that while Ming puts all of these pressures on May even unintentionally she also loves May a lot yeah yeah and that there is no like intentional abuse there's no like Ming is just a jerk you know it's she's doing all of the things that she's doing because she wants May to succeed and because this is the best way she knows how to like give her a good life and like I feel like those are really important distinctions to make because I feel like sometimes we try to make it really black and white like Ming's just a jerk and May's in the right and she should do as she wants where it's like like I mean like you're talking about you know this dichotomy of like I really want to do what my parents want me to do but Mm -hmm. I also really have these other things I want to do and I mean it's clear in a later scene that Ming had a similar relationship with her mother and that she always felt like she couldn't be perfect enough Um, and so and that's where like the generational trauma comes into play because it's like I feel like we don't know what her relationship with her mom was like exactly, but it's possible that like her mom was abusive. Maybe her mom hit her, you know, because that was like appropriate in the era and her mom, you know, and so Ming grew up saying like, I'm never going to treat my daughter that way. And so instead she like puts all the same pressure on her through like toxic positivity of like you can do this you're so smart you can't get up give up you're never allowed to quit you know kind of a thing yeah well i think that's real it is it is and it's also real that it's really hard to not parent the same way your parents parented yes because that is what you know as parenting and so those are the you know it's wrong Yep. yep correct And it takes a lot of intention and a lot of self-awareness and a lot of working together with, you know, your partner, if you have one, to really, really intentionally do something different. And I think the only thing that you can do, which, which if that was the case, maybe it was that she was, you know, hit or something, then she is doing better by May than what she had. And that's all you can do. Can Mm -hmm. do try to do a little bit better than what you had and then hope that that passes on to your grandkids, you know, that they will get a slightly, slightly better version because you were slightly better and then your kids will be slightly better than you were. And that's what the hope is. Right. Yeah. 
And I think that the movie does do a, a good job of showing that Ming really loves May. Oh, yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about twice cooked pork. So we didn't make the dumplings, but we did make the stir fry. Um, and it took me a really long time to figure out what exactly this was. Um, I tried looking it up for like a year after this movie came out, but I couldn't find really? anything. Yeah. Um, but while I was researching this, I I did manage to find it. Um, what he's making is twice cooked pork. And this is a dish where you boil pork belly until it's tender and then you crisp it in a wok and you cook it with vegetables and spicy bean paste. Um, and the overall dish is just like a good combination of like flavors and textures. Um, the dish is eaten typically around Lunar New Year in the Sichuan, uh, Xichuan tradition. Mm-hmm. So, and that's um, right where we are right now, it is right where we are right now. That was, that actually was perfect. It's also traditional for Sichuanese families to have a feast night on the first and fifteenth of every calendar month with twice cooked pork as the main dish. I want to do a feast on the first and the fifteenth of every month. Right? Not, I don't want to make it, but I want to do it. Huh. I, there wasn't a lot, honestly, about twice-cooked pork. Um, I will say, though, in the dish, it calls for soy sauce. But in the movie, when he's pouring sauce into the pan, the thickness of the sauce and the shape of the bottle, I swear he's using oyster sauce, not mm. soy sauce. And I so I, I almost considered doing oyster sauce instead. But then I wasn't sure how it would taste with, like, the bean paste. Yeah. So, also, I got to tell you, so we actually did not record this on the day that we meant to record it, but the day that we meant to record it, I hadn't made it yet because I forgot, and so I dropped off my son at school, and then immediately after, I ran to H-Mart, and it was like 7.45 in the morning. And they opened at eight. And so I was standing outside H Mart in like my jammies and with my three-year-old who was in her jammies with no shoes and her hair was a mess. And it was like 40 degrees outside. And I was just standing there like waiting for the doors to open and all the employees were coming in and looking at me like I was insane. And so, (laughs) and then we didn't even do the episode that day. So Oh, that's so that funny. was a fun experience. I know, and I was, I was like, I feel like this is weird too because I'm buying, I'm here at eight a.m. buying like pork belly and like bean paste. Um, so that was fun. Anyway, um, with that, it's time to try our pork belly. I liked this more than I thought I would. I really like chashu pork, which is like pork belly that's been like glazed, kind of. And that is like one of my very favorite foods. Um, But I don't just love pork belly by itself, like seared. And so I was afraid I wasn't going to love the flavor that much, but it actually ended up being pretty good. Okay. I actually really didn't like it at all. Really? No. Okay. But that being said, I have never cooked with pork belly before. And I think that I may have like super, super overboiled it. Um because the recipe called for like a one pound chunk right of pork belly and my store only had two pound chunks and I knew that I wasn't going to use it so I found like one pound strips 
And so I boiled it for way less time than what it said, but I think I still overboiled it. And it was just like, it was not good. And nobody enjoyed it. We ended up getting Taco Bell. <laughs> so that, that was how it went at my house. So when you stir fried it, did you like wait for it to get crispy? Yeah, like I waited for it to brown and and everything. Um, and yeah. it just was not great. Had really, really, really thick portions of fat um, that did not like render or anything because it didn't have time to, you know. Um, so maybe that was also a problem. Maybe I should have waited for the fat to render. Um, but I don't know. Well, you are also just not a big fan of red meat and fat. Correct. That is true. So did you use um, bok choy in yours? Yes, I did. So the recipe that we used called for leek. Um, but I said instead of leek to use bok choy because in the movie, he looks like he's using some type of like really crispy cab- um, lettuce or like a cabbage. Napa cabbage? Possibly. I was having a hard time. I think it was too green for a Napa cabbage. Um, I was like looking at the pictures trying to figure out like what exactly that would be. And I don't think it was bok choy, but I feel like bok choy was probably a good enough substitute for whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And I did read that like sometimes or like that twice cooked pork can be made with lettuce or cabbage. Oh, okay. So uh, we did that instead. Okay, so it's time to rate, and Ashley is going to give us our rating for time. Okay, so for time, we gave it a two. And the reason why is because, I mean, it's not like it's insane, but you do have to boil the pork before you also sear it. Um, and you have, there is a good bit of chopping involved. So I think I think a two, pretty pretty normal as far as time goes. And then for ease, we are also giving this a two. And we talked about um, just like the difficulty of walking. And so if you don't, if you don't know what that means, because I can see that being confusing if you are not familiar with the term, (laughs) um, a walk is like a large, like kind of dish shaped skillet, essentially. That's good for like W-O-K. Yes, that's uh, used in Chinese cooking and is good for like frying things very quickly and for like stir frying. Um, and that's what he was doing in the movie. But um, neither of us own walks. I used to. Um, and we are both bad at walking. And it just yeah. takes a lot of practice because you because everything moves very quickly. Um, if you have ever seen people walk in Chinese restaurants, they're just like, whoosh, 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 and like really fast and stuff's in there for like two minutes, you know, and then it's yeah, like, total. Um, yes. And so they're like, I mean, when you're good at it, it's like insane how quickly stuff comes out. Um, But it's just it's a hard skill to learn. And most people don't own a walk. So like I just did it in like a saucier and like I didn't even do it quickly. I was waiting for like my pork to brown and stuff like that. So for ease, it's two. Um, And then for taste. Okay, we forgot our baguettes. We didn't do baguettes. We just gave twos. But (laughs) this time we are giving the baguette um so twos all across the board we feel like the the pork was kind of the issue we felt like it was a little 
tough. Like I liked the vegetables just fine. Um, and Christine says the flavor was good, but the, but the pork, I think because it had boiled and then been seared, it was just kind of tough. Mine was really fatty, which is not something I'm good with. Um, so we'll give it a two flavors. Good pork. Wasn't so great. Um, I mean, and that being said, that's what pork belly is. Pork belly is essentially uncured bacon. And so, you know, it's like easy to like a bacon because of the fat, but like you have to enjoy that flavor and that texture. And when it's not like super crispy and when you have thicker cuts of it, that fat can be more of a problem in cooking. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, I think I would like this better, like if it had ground pork instead of the pork belly. Possibly. I think I probably would have liked it fine because I do like ground pork. Um, so I, I think maybe if I were to try it again, that's what I would do. Well, we are all about riffing on this podcast. So, I mean, if you ever hear anything like this and you think it would be better with this, just make it like that. Cause I'm a very big proponent of like, if you like to eat it make it you know like you don't have to make things the way they're supposed to be made just eat what you like to eat um that being said i did see something that said if you don't use pork belly it's not twice cooked pork yeah (laughs) yeah said that like in the recipe i oh was that it yeah okay um well that's it for our episode on turning red i hope you liked our intense boy band discourse (laughs) that's okay we haven't had a big tangent like that in a while we haven't our episodes have been running short and so this was good we're back back (laughs) back in the groove um for our third year running wait i do want to say something about the i love you colonel sanders oh yeah okay so here's a editorial throwback editor's note for our i love you colonel sanders and fried chicken episode yeah okay so a couple of months ago we talked about the dating simulator right that was like put up by kfc like they funded this right and it's like done in a total anime style it was done in japan in japan um okay so i i found out my brother-in-law brett's brother um served a religious mission in japan And he was telling us because we went over to his house for dinner over Christmas break and he made us like a whole Japanese feast. Like, um, and it was so, it was so great. It was delicious. And he was telling us that in Japan, people are obsessed with KFC and they think that it's like this super American thing that like all Americans get KFC on Christmas and that, and he's He's completely serious about this too. Like they think it's this big celebratory thing. And in Japan, KFC sells Christmas cakes. And that's what all the Japanese people buy because they think that's what Americans do for Christmas. So when he was living there, they had a member of of the church come over and bring them a Christmas cake from KFC to say, I hope this makes you feel more at home. Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) I know. It was so nice. And they were just like, okay, thanks. (laughs) That's like one of my favorite things. Oh my gosh. Okay. That is like one of my favorite. I know we're like at the end of the episode, but that's like one of my favorite things are like cultural misunderstandings like i know that a lot of 
people from other cultures come here you know like like chinese american chinese food people are like this is not chinese food you know or like taco bell they're like this is not a taco you know but we're like it's tacos it's 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 chinese food but like that totally happens with american stuff in other countries and i saw a so when i took an a humanities of asia class um when i was studying humanities one of the things like we were watching some video and one of the things we saw was like a cowboy bar where they would like go dress up as cowboys and like yeah. drink lone star beer and like watch rodeos on the tv and i think it's the greatest thing i've ever seen in my life <laughs> but then um i was reading a thing where it was like people who have traveled the world like what are like the things that people think are American that aren't and or like you know what do people think of Americans and so a lot of the things I see are like American sections in grocery stores that are just like Twinkies and like marshmallow fluff (laughs) (laughs) and then there was this guy who's talking about how like everywhere there's just like like 50s diners where it's like Elvis (laughs) and Marilyn Monroe and stuff but that they serve stuff like banana juice and like this guy was like, I pointed it out to a waiter and was like, what's banana juice? It was like, we don't have banana juice in the U.S. And he's like, yes, you do. It's American. <laughs> he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. So this is one of those things. And I, I like that lady was so sweet to bring them a cake that to help really them feel at home. But I'm like, has anybody in America ever seen a Christmas cake at KFC? Do they they sell those here? I don't think so. Like I've never seen, and not that I frequent KFC more than like the year, but like it's, I I don't know if they sell it here. (laughs) No, I like really want to know. So anyway, this is why I think the KFC dating simulator was like a thing. Because Japanese people think KFC is super American and they super love it. So that is funny. It looks good though. It's got like strawberries on it. Oh, that sounds yummy. Um, that is funny though. I I want to do that. I want to go get a Christmas cake at KFC. Uh, I'm glad that you said that. Um, funny story. <laughs> that is amazing. Okay, well, thank you for joining us for today's episode. Um, if, if you want to uh, get recipes and see pictures of the food we make, you can join us on our socials. Um, I run our Twitter at The Bitten Pod, and Ashley runs our Instagram at The Bitten Word Podcast. You can also check out our email at The Bitten, or sorry, The Bitten Word Podcast dot gmail dot at gmail dot com. I'm sorry, I don't, you know how emails work. Um, or you can join our website at thebittenwordpodcast.weebly.com. Um, send us information. Have you ever bought a Christmas cake in Japan? Let Have us you ever know. seen a Christmas cake Have here? KFC? Yeah. Have you ever gotten a Christmas cake from KFC, whether or not you are here or in Japan? Um, And I like how I said that when that's not even what we were talking about this episode. Nope. <laughs> No, but that's what we want to really know. <laughs> that's that's the the biggest most important part of the podcast. Um, what was your favorite boy band growing up? Were you on Team Backstreet Boys or were you on Team NSYNC? Or were kids you on the block. way out there with the new kids on the block people? You if you were, you were like the true outliers. Um well those that was like earlier that 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 
was a thing. That was degrees. like when I was tiny. Yep, 98 degrees. That's, that's the, the outlier. That's the outlier. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say, but then you said new kids on the block, and I was like, yeah. Then I was like, wait a minute, no. Or were you young enough for One Direction to be your thing? Yeah. Are you a hair or Giles style? Brothers? Like, yeah. Or Jonas Brothers. Or were you born in 92 like me and you, you don't know what your Backstreet Boys was? Um, or are you way out there and like Beach Boys was your thing? Nice. When, like seriously. I guess they are a boy band, aren't they? they? Totally are a boy band. They're like the first boy band. Amazing. Okay. Um. Anyway, be sure to join us in two weeks. We're going to be talking about The Hacienda. Ashley yeah, and I maybe. both put this book on our top five books of the year um for 2022 so definitely go listen to our book stats episode to hear about it and go listen to our favorite books of the second half of 2022 episode to hear about it because it's amazing and it's really it's fun. a really good book we're really excited to talk about it um we're gonna uh be making pozole and we also over christmas where we spent Christmas together and we burned copal so we can talk yes. about what copal smells like sort of <laughs> it's we gonna be really good <laughs> so until then happy watching and bon appetit <laughs>